Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thanks for joining the Sports Podcast Show, and I hope you like the new audio quality we're working with here in an effort to improve the listening experience. Today's show is a long one. I think we set the record for length. And I apologize for that if you're of the short attention span like myself. But a lot of great content on today's show. Nick Edmonds is going to come on. We're going to talk about NFL free agency, a little NHL playoffs, Gronk at WrestleMania, and then our battle royal of NFL coaches who would win a brawl for all, a free for all Hunger Game meets WWE. Who would win that battle of all the NFL coaches? It's utterly ridiculous. And we also talk about Fast 8 at the end. And then Bradford Bruns, my good buddy from St. Louis, is going to come on at the end of the show to talk NBA playoff preview. The first round, we break down all eight series. And then finally, give our picks for who the MVP is at the end of the regular season. You're not going to want to miss that. It's the Money Mitch Effect. It's Friday. The weather's getting nice. Birds are chirping. Fresh cut grass. Let's start the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Another edition of the Money Mitch Effect and another opportunity to talk with my good friend, wrestling compatriot, all sports aficionado, Nick Edmonds. Nick, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, it's good to be back, man. I think the last time I saw you, we were belting out some karaoke together. That was probably right. You know, I think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Yeah, sorry to everyone. Sorry to everyone in attendance at uh, at that bar. We ended it with thousand miles though, which I actually heard today driving. So. Oh, it's a good one. You know, you got you got to do those fan favorites. You know, it's all about having the crowd behind you. Ain't that the truth? Um, but and it's funny we have the the handshake we do with the NWO Wolfpack to click. You know, yeah. too sweet. Right. I think I have a wrestling handshake with just about everybody. <laughs> um, you know, Sean Sully Sullivan. I do the the Mega Powers handshake with him, nice. and uh, so. <laughs> We got a lot there, um, but glad to have you back on. I want to discuss right now a few things, and we'll start off with this. It's hockey's playoff season. Yes. I know you're a Chicago guy. And yep. it, it doesn't get better for for Chicago sports fans than the Blackhawks trying to make another cup run, going for their fourth betting favorites, trailing now in game one as we record this, but yeah, I like the journey. It's very exciting, and I'll, you know, I'll be, you know, Chicago hockey fans have definitely been spoiled these last six to eight years. But at the same time, you know, we never think that we're out. You know, we've come back for some pretty big deficits in different series. So, you know, even if we're down, you know, to Nashville early, you know, you can never count us out. No, never. And I, I think with the Blackhawks, I mean, every year, you know, you're right there. You know, you got the horses to make the run. Uh, and Nashville underachieved. I mean, maybe Nashville turns it on and puts the fear of God in what, you know, what your team has to offer. But it's the Blackhawks betting favorites again and this divisional funky matchup i mean last night we saw a lot of road teams win three or four i believe in a couple overtime games so uh, i'm excited for the playoffs as always always got all the all the tvs working i'm a remote control professional this time of year always hitting that last channel but yeah that's valuable you know kind of sensing the commercials you got to yeah you gotta have this occasional stream up on my computer sure sure i think it's legal we're gonna go (laughs) yeah it's definitely legal (laughs) um but i'll take i mean i'll take chicago's core against anybody in the leagues i love you know i love that we've been able to hang on to that core for this long yeah and i i want to mention one other thing before we get going uh with the blackhawks for people that don't know and might not understand it and maybe even think that it's a little disrespectful Describe, Nick, if you could, the importance and the significance of the anthem tradition in Chicago. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, people people who don't know about it may may look at it as being disrespectful, but it is a tradition. It is a tradition, and for those who don't know, basically during the national anthem at Chicago Blackhawks home games in uh, the United Center, aka the Madhouse on Madison Street. Everyone is standing and basically cheering as loud as you can during the anthem. And the guy who does the anthem, I can't think of his name right now, but, you know, he's gone on record saying that he loves it. You know, it gives him energy. It's just such a great way for the entire, like, crowd to kind of get together and all, you know, do something together before the game starts. And it really just sets the tone for the entire game. Like, you can, like, feel the vibrations, and I just... It's it's one of my favorite traditions. It's awesome. So... Here's my long and short of it, because I can understand if you don't know what it is, being like, oh, what's that? You know, like the initial reaction is something, you know, new. It does set the tone. It's a tradition. I don't even know the, the genesis of it. You need everybody on board. You can't have one guy just screaming in the middle of a national yeah. anthem. That'd be kind of kind of weird. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And you can tell by the passion that the fans have respect for the anthem. They, they you know, obviously it's an important part of the experience at the Madhouse at Madison, and I have no problem with it. I think it's a staple of not only Chicago sports, but of NHL playoff hockey. I mean, when we hear that, we know, all right, the Blackhawks are on national TV. It's time for another big game, and I actually think the players look forward to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it hypes them up as well. It, it just sets the tone for the fans, for the players. Um, and, it's, you know, it's not like they're booze. Like, we're excited about the national anthem. You can still hear the national anthem. Everyone's standing. Everyone's, you know, for the most part, takes their hats off. You know, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's sure a lot better than throwing an octopus on the ice. Oh, Sorry, I had to take gotta, a shot. Gotta, gotta had to get Detroit a little jab in there, there at Detroit, yeah. Well, they're closing their arena. The Joe Lewis arena is, yeah. is closed. And they're not even in the same conference anymore, but the rivalry still It's lives. still, yeah, it runs deep. <laughs> it still <laughs> runs deep. All right, I do want to switch back now, Nick, to the NFL. And first of all, congrats on the new gig. You're at NFL Network on the network side now. Leaving.com. That's right. That's right. I'm moving from uh, the digital side to the network side. Uh, very happy to have received a staff position. Spent four years with .com, NFL.com. You know, so staff is definitely something I've been wanting for a while. And it's kind of cool to get in on the network side, a little more live atmosphere. You know, something I've been wanting to do for a while. And it's also nice getting those bennies, you know. <laughs> yeah, got those bennies, bennies, dental, you know. You'll know when you get a uh, prescription and yeah. the copay is like five, exactly, ten dollars. Like, exactly. This is amazing. I kind of just want to get sick, you know. I've, <laughs> I've been, I've been licking handrails, you know. I've just been going <laughs> putting on, your mouth on water fountains. Yeah, I've been going on just buses and just kissing people. No, yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not true. Well, a transition. Speaking of buses, Jerome Bettis played for the Steelers. <laughs> yeah, and. You got to work your first day today on, on or first couple of days, your first day shadowing today. And we were talking about this before. Dan Rooney, Steelers owner, passes away, which our condolences to him, obviously, and his family for a life well lived and serving the NFL. But in your position, I mean, you got to shadow when it all hits the fan, when breaking news happens. You got to see what it's like and, and how, you know, the meal gets made. Yes. You know, it was certainly a somber day for the NFL family. You know, sad, very sad for the Rooney family. But... On the other side of it, I was very fortunate fortunate enough to be, you know, in the control room when the news broke and just being able to witness, you know, these great producers and this great, you know, NFL media team that, you know, I'm lucky to be a part of, just to see them work that, you know, their peak performance, creating and communicating when everything's on the line and you got to go live in, you know, yeah. two minutes. It was it was really something neat to see. Um, so it was a very cool 
kind of like broadcast moment for me today and just kind of like really reestablish that this is what I want to be doing. So it was, it was a cool moment for me, but obviously, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to the Rooney family. I actually worked with, uh, I believe it's Dan Rooney's grandson, um, Art Rooney, Art Rooney Jr. I worked with him this year. So definitely, you know, thoughts and prayers out to the Rooney family. Yeah, it's an interesting time of uh, the NFL offseason, which we don't know if it, football actually ever stops. But we're getting ready for the draft in a little bit. You know, we're not we're not that far away at all. In Philly, in it's Philly, exciting. it's exciting. I, I gotta start with this though. My Browns aren't really gonna not take Miles Garrett, right? I'd start for the double negative, but they gotta go with him. I'm hearing this Trubisky stuff, I and know, I actually, I know. my reaction to the news when it was out was uh, the Daniel Bryan no. Yeah, yeah, I just right. I had to just um, take a stand. I mean, I really want to believe that it's just smoke and mirrors. From everything that I've heard, Miles Garrett is, you know, a one in five years, one in ten years type of talent. And the Browns have another pick not too far after. I think it would be a really big mistake to, to pass on Garrett. You know, as bad as you, your franchise may need a quarterback, <laughs> you gotta you gotta take the, the best talent and I'd, I'd be I'd be extremely shocked if they if they didn't take him at one. So here's my thing, Nick. When I when I kind of evaluate how we break this down, any other franchise, just about, you'd say, oh, it's definitely smoke and mirrors. But when you've perennially failed as yeah. much as the Browns have right, in right. drafts, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe they are going to do it this yeah. way. Garrett's the pick. Has to be the pick. I'd be furious if he wasn't as a fan. I understand you have 12. Maybe that's a spot for a quarterback. The odds are that Trubisky's probably not going to be there. But I'm in the camp of a lot of analysts. I, I, I heard Ron Jaworski say this. I don't really feel too fond of any of these quarterbacks. No, I, I think that's the case for a lot of analysts. Our you know, NFL Network's Mike Mayock just made a big switch to his top five quarterbacks. Uh, he had Kaiser at one. And I agree with that, by the way. Kaiser went. Kaiser dropped to four. And I think now Watson is one. Yeah. Maybe Trubisky's two. See, but just that alone. Not sure. If, if, there's, if there's not, like, complete certainty then it's not worthy of the number one pick. And even, you know, quarterback is so tough, and I get the approach that you need it because you obviously need the quarterback in the NFL to succeed. And I get the pro- approach that, say, Seattle took. I mean, Russell Wilson didn't fall into their laps. They took a late-round pick. But they were trying to add quarterbacks for years until they got it right. So I get the idea that you have that extra pick at 12. Maybe you take a chance on one. But if you're not sold and this team doesn't have aspirations of going anywhere next year, they're not the Houston Texans, they're not – you know, a team like even Denver that's trying to make something happen next year. Why risk it? Why not just wait? I mean, Kessler is yeah. a, a solid backup, even Osweiler. Yep. I mean, the team's not going anywhere next year. The class afterwards, especially with your boy Sam Darnold coming know, out, I that know. could be the guy. But I, I wouldn't go quarterback at all. Trubisky, Watson, Kaiser, even Mahomes. I'm just not sold on any of them. And on a bad Cleveland team with a pretty bad line, Spells disaster for me. Well, I'm definitely in that group for uh, tanking for Darnold. I would love the Bears to pick him up uh, next season. And, you know, with the garbage, you know, that we've been putting together this offseason, I think we're on our way to another tank season. So I'm all for tanking again and, you know, hopefully getting Sam Darnold next year. Uh, but until then, it's uh, Mike Lennon and Mark Sanchez, unfortunately. You know, we talked to <laughs> – yeah, good luck. Yeah. We talked a lot about um, – free agent pool how there's a lot of big names still out there you know with the draft with cheap labor coming in on these rookie contracts some of these guys might not be signed until training camp if at all but one thing we didn't address on the previous week's show nick Edmonds, money mitch effect here talking about a lot of different things is the idea that a big name player could be traded a la richard sherman 
Now, here's where I stand on this. The Titans are a team that's rumored to be interested, and they just cut Jason McCourty today. Yep, I saw that. Which, if you connect the dots, they're either looking at a guy like Sherman or to draft somebody to fill that void. Mm-hmm. But I'm really against trading for big-name players, especially when they're approaching that mythical age of 30. And I'll put it like this. How often, Nick, does a trade as a big free agency splash work out for guys that are getting older? I mean, you're talking about big money. You're talking about a risk of not knowing if Sherman's a great player in Seattle's system or a great player in any system. And I just don't know I would I would risk it. I think you got a young team with a chance to draft players for a lot less money if it fails. I'm just against Tennessee or, or any team for that matter with the asking price that Seattle would have to take a chance on a guy like Sherman. I mean, I think the success rate for those kind of deals are pretty rare, maybe excluding like a quarterback because you they know can last longer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the other positions are so physically demanding. Like, I definitely think that you should just wait until the draft, see where all the cards fall, and then you know you can make your moves. You know, it's why your Adrian Petersons, your Jamal Charles, you know, they're still they still haven't signed. I think teams are going to wait and see what happens in the draft. You know, I'm sure these running backs want to wait and see as well because mm-hmm. you know they want to be put in a good position as well. So, and I don't think Seattle should get rid of Sherman. Um, well, you know, I, he's like a cornerstone. And, but you yeah, I agree with a, you. You have to get a lot. Exactly. I don't think they shouldn't be open to trading him. Yeah, you can hear because of the, what the know. price would be. If you can get the king's ransom for him, that's right. fine. And he is getting up there. My point is, just look at all these all NFL cornerbacks. A lot of them are on the original team. You have yeah. Josh Norman made a splash, but they signed him and they got him for a lot of years. You know, he's going to be, I think, thirty next year, also. I don't know. I think you're, it's a sunk cost. You're paying for, what, two, three years of dominant football? Look at Revis and the Jets. I mean, he, he I mean, they released him, what, two years into a deal? Last year was god-awful. The year before was just okay. I would just go young at that position. A yeah. lot less money and a lot less risk, in my opinion. And if you're going to make a deal like that, like I think you kind of touched on, you're, you plan on winning now or soon. Yeah. Like, Tlaib going what New England to Denver, you know, they won, I think, within, you know, the next couple of years. Like right, they, exactly. You know, they had a plan in mind, and luckily it worked out for them. Yeah, and they didn't have the years on that deal, too. They could always cut bait at that time. Sherman's locked up for a lot of years after yeah. he got his new deal. Let, let's talk about this, though, and it's kind of going to segue into our ridiculous side of things. <laughs> we didn't address Gronk at WrestleMania. Oh, my gosh. Is there has there ever been a more natural progression like than Gronk going to the WWE? No. I can't think of it in sports. Like It's, it's on the same lines of, you go to high school to college and the pros. Gronk goes from Arizona <laughs> to the Patriots to WrestleMania. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's almost so natural that when I saw it, there was just zero shock. But oh yeah, Gronk's on WrestleMania. Oh, he's gonna get in the ring. Yeah, it's like sure. oh, who's he wrestling? Like who? Oh yeah, I think he's wrestling. Like, right, but he's in the crowd, and you're like, okay, he's getting in the ring. Like, he's course. getting involved in this match. There's no way. A hundred percent. And you know, Gronk's always gonna take do something for the money. You know, he's getting a ton of sponsorships. I'm sure. Vince paid him a pretty penny, to, you know, to make that kind of experience. I'm sure, I'm sure all Patriots fans around the country <laughs> freaked out when they saw him getting that three point stance. There was a funny meme circulating, like being like, "I don't think anyone told Gronk that this was fake. Like he just got in the ring, was ready to go. You know, someone was messing with his friend who's a Mojo. Mojo is a guy I guess he played football with in college, or yeah, there's or, some connection with the family. I think his brother, his brother, uh, uh, Mojo may have played with yeah. his brother. Yeah, definitely. A well, we know Triple H and and Stephanie are Patriot fans. I know they've made that clear. Uh, yeah. So they've got the connection there. And Gronk, I mean, he he threw a legit shoulder tackle on. I think it was Jinder Mahal at the Battle Royal. I mean. It's going to happen probably. When his career ends, 
I, I don't know that he'll be a full-on superstar, but Gronk will have a match at WrestleMania in the next 10 I, years. Oh, that's must-see TV. Can I bet that right now? Yeah. He's going to have a match in the next decade at WrestleMania. I, I would definitely get in on that. And the guy's natural, you know, not even the physicality. It was a great bump that he delivered. But, I mean, he had the fans going, like, a ton of energy. Can you imagine if that was allowed in the league, a la, like, NFL Blitz from N64, just, like, any, like, post-play, just elbow drops, things like that. I mean, Gronk's, Gronk's got his name all over that. You know, the guy's a natural. He does. And uh, I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. Gronk, hey, as long as he's doing his job, I know people are, are kind of upset. They think there might be a double standard with him and other players. Yeah. He shows up on time. By all accounts, he, he attends every meeting. He's active. He attends practice, works his bag off, shows up on Sundays. That's all you ask for. Yeah. You know, you can't compare that to Manziel or, or anybody else. I mean, it's it's all about performing. It's treating it like a professional. Yeah. Your time off off the clock is your time off the clock. Right. He's not committing any crimes. You know, he's like you said, he still shows up to work. You know, he's just he's just a party animal. The guy's a goof. <laughs> he's a goof for sure. He's a kid, giant kid. All right. <laughs> Nick Edmonds, Money Mitch Effect, why we're here. Marshawn Lynch would say, this is why we're here. You yeah, know why you we're know here. You know why I'm here. We had talked about this idea for months, and it might sound ridiculous at first, but we had been going back and forth on this. A Hunger Games meets WWE Battle Royal Celebrity Deathmatch NFL coaches. We've always wanted to wonder the hypothetical, Nick, who are just the, the most badass NFL coaches? Who could win the Brawl for All, the Battle Royal, to see who's the last coach standing? So we took it upon ourselves to find out. So what you're about to hear is the hypothetical 32-person single elimination bracket style of who's the last coach standing. I'm excited. I don't know how you feel about this idea. I'm very excited. You know, so many times coaches have to keep a poker face during the games. Can't reveal what they're thinking. You know, don't want to be rude to the other team or anything. So just the thought of them just going all out against each other. I'm sure there's some grudges, you know, some longtime coaches don't like each other. I'm sure there's a little bit of that in there. So And that's why the matchups play huge. We yeah. go one on one. Totally randomized, is that to- right? Totally randomized, and I'll explain the seeds. Just randomized alphabetical order, whisk discombobulator, ones, twos, threes, fours, five, six, seven, eight, and it was snakes that went back and forth to figure out a region. And no metric at all. This is just purely speculative. A lot of this will be based on physical appearance, you know, intensity. Some of it will be on the unknown. How yeah. crazy someone looks yeah, maybe on the sideline. An X factor. You an know, X factor. Some sort of, you know, outside factor. So now, Nick, you haven't even seen the list yet. So I have we're going to do the unveiling right now. Yep. And I'll read them out loud while we go through. In the Mike Dicker region, because nice. I named all these regions, <laughs> the one seed is John Fox. Sean McVay's the two, Chuck Pagano's the three, Doug Peterson's the four, Todd Bowles is the five, Bruce Arian six, Kyle Shanahan seven, Sean McDermott eight. I'll run through all these and then we'll go break down the uh, the actual matchups. But the Bill Romanowski region, Adam Gase is the <laughs> one seed, Jack Del Rio the two, Mike Tomlin the three, Dan Quinn the four, Sean Payton the five, Mike Malarkey the six, Bill O'Brien seven, and Doug Marone eight. Weird pecking order there. The Lyle Elizado region, Jason Garrett, number one, John Harbaugh, two, Vance Joseph, New Broncos coach, number three, Pete Carroll, four, Mike Zimmer, five, Marvin Lewis, six, Dirk Cotter, seven, and Anthony Lynn, number eight. And then lastly, the Jim Mora region, because this is a playoff. Yeah, sure. 
Bill Belichick, one. Ben McAdoo, two. Andy Reid, three. Jay Gruden, four. Jim Caldwell, five. Mike McCarthy, six. Ron Rivera, seven. And Hugh Jackson, eight. First off, the Jim Moore region is just pure comedy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, right. it's, it's ridiculous that those guys are all in the same region. But, wow, there we are. You know, I'm thinking, as you're saying those names, a couple things are going through my mind. One, you know, there's some people that I'm just dismissing right away. And I'm sure when we get to the matchups, I'll explain why. <laughs> that's the problem is they could I be know. playing each other. <laughs> I know. that's Yeah, I think I heard at least yeah. one of those. And two, I'm also picturing, like, them as wrestlers, either current wrestlers or, like, what they'd be wearing. So, I mean, should I be picturing a Hunger Games-like atmosphere where they all appear out of tubes and are in an open field? Or is it more... Celebrity Deathmatch Insider. So I, I would say a hybrid of both, and I know it's kind of a cop-out, but it's bigger than a ring where there is some hiding and some strategy involved. Okay. But it's not That's the good. open That's good woods. That's good to it's know. not the open woods. You don't have miles to get away. <laughs> so like, uh, Although I don't know how Andy Reid's going to hide it regardless, no, but, no. <laughs> but we'll Maybe see. Maybe like, uh, like an Ameri- American Gladiator sort of <laughs> arena. Yeah, <laughs> some know, obstacles. Let's, yeah let's, let's get Larry Zonka in here. <laughs> yeah, right. Do the Eliminator for all we know. All right, the first... Region we're going to break down yeah. the Ditka region. Let's hear, let's hear the matchup. One eight matchup: John Fox versus new Bills coach Sean McDermott. Your boy John Fox getting a one seed. McDermott, who we don't have a lot of tape on, he's a solidly sized guy. Is he? He looks small. I, I mean, yeah, he's. I guess he'd kind of be on the smaller side compared to what we would think of as an NFL coach. Fox, though, and I love him, but has those health issues. Guy's old. He's Guy's got health old. Issues. Like McDermott looks like. He runs like cross country. I I can picture him running circles around Fox. I'm going McDermott here too. I think he wins this one. I think I'm that's not. Really I'm mean. not happy about it because I don't think McDermott is you know an intimidating physical specimen. But John Fox, like you said, he's got some health history, and he's just old. The guy's not going to last. No. You know, I think I think McDermott can tire him out. Yeah, just run some laps in the field while Fox is chasing him, and then go for the cover. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll move McDermott on in that matchup. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> Young guns. Young skinny guns. I yeah. mean, hey, if you've ever wanted to, uh, I mean, they're loving this draw because this is just, who's strong? I mean, who would bench more in this matchup? I, mean, we I don't got, know. We got two brand new coaches, same division. This is the start of, you know. A rivalry. Could, yeah. In, in more ways than one. But I recently saw some pictures of McVay. He's kind of stacked. The guy's short. He's stocky, but like I saw some pictures of him at their first practice, and like he looked like he had like either some traps or like a wide neck. So I'm kind of I'm kind of picturing him as like a like a high school or collegiate style wrestler, maybe. Okay. Picturing him coming out with some headgear like the Norton brothers or like Kurt Angle when he shaved his head with the wig on. I'll go McVeigh too. I just think at the end of the day, it's going to be like Shanahan might have an advantage, and then Mike will come out and try to tell him what to do. He'll get distracted, and then yeah, McVeigh will win. Yeah. Some turmoil in the Shanahan household. But all right, McVeigh wins there. So we we keep our two seed going. Three six matchup: Chuck Pagano and Bruce Arians is a first round matchup. Wow, Luck of the they draw. Have history. This Look is kind of that. like this is kind of like Triple H versus X Pac in a way. You know, they yeah. they were together, and then they kind of or maybe maybe more Shawn Michaels than X Pac. Man, I like Chuck. I don't want to badmouth him. I know he's survived a lot. But Bruce, the, the wild, reckless maniac on the sidelines, you know he's going to go for it, which could backfire. Down the road, I think it will. But he's aggressive. I think this could be 
It can almost be a squash match where Arian just hits him with his finisher early and goes for the win. You know, Chuck is certainly a survivor. The guy's got a ton of heart and grit. But Bruce has, like, a crazy eye. If you ever see him in a game on the on the wrong side of a bad penalty or, you know, just uh, a missed call, he's got a little glint in his eye that, like, he could snap. And, yeah, and the windbreaker, great for fighting. Yes. Right? Yeah. The- <laughs> Very aerodynamic. Yeah. But, you know, it could reveal his position. A lot of swooshing. Yeah, you know? that's true. But if this happened now, you got to you gotta consider Bruce is coming off a, uh, I believe, a collarbone injury. Fitzgerald, <laughs> yeah. like, hugged him or something, like, late last season and, like, messed up his collarbone. So, you know, you got well, yeah. to take all that into account. So, but yeah. I, I would still give it to Bruce because he's kind of crazy. We're going to go Bruce there. And then Doug Peterson, Todd Bowles to round this region out. Feels like a 4-5 matchup. You know, yeah. Feels like it's close. I'll say Bulls here. And I know Peterson played in the NFL as a quarterback. I just I think he, I think this is where he might get a little outsmart, you know, outsmarted. I think he loves that West Coast offense. I think he's going to stall. And I think Bulls is going to you know make the rally and win. I like Todd Bowles here. You know who Bowles reminds me of? Bowles is another guy who, at a press conference... Looks pretty intimidating. He looks like, you know, like a bad dude, maybe a big dude. He's kind of like Chuck, what was his name? Chuck Strong, the Texas coach. Yeah, Charles, Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong, who looks pretty intimidating. And then you see like a wide shot and you notice that they're really, really short. Yeah, they're not that I tall. think Todd Bowles is also like that where he's like sneaky short if you ever see him next to somebody. But... Doug Peterson, not yeah. intimidating. You look like a goof with that visor, your hair poofing out the top of the visor. Maybe a little bit of like dad strength or something. Probably dad strength. But yeah. I got I would go bowls. Uh, okay. It's the visor. I mean, you can't who's the most intimidating person with the visor? Can you think of one? I can't. I yeah. <laughs> man, I don't man, I gotta it's a good one. I'm maybe, stumped. maybe yeah, maybe a golfer. Yeah, it has to be a golfer. Who else or some, you know, not Lane Kiffin. Not Lane Kiffin. Not doing it. Well let's just finish this region up then. So we got our, our our Sweet 16 matchups. McDermott versus Todd Bowles. <laughs> wow, another... Another barn burner. Yeah, divisional matchup, right? I uh, would probably go McDermott here because you brought up the cross-country thing, and I think he looks like he's in better shape than Bowles. I don't know either. He's making these like assumptions. We but are. He, does, he, lo- he looks like, you know... I can't. I, I got to be honest. This region is a lot weaker than I thought. Yeah, yeah. And granted, I don't know, I don't know that much... About McDermott, maybe Todd doesn't either. The guy's new to the scene. It's crazy, you know? yeah. It's an upstart match. Should be um, on NXT or something. I will, I will stick with um, McDermott, okay. which I'm shocked wow. that he's making. He's it. made it to the lead eight. The guy's just like the Cinderella <laughs> well, story, I guess. You know, I did not expect a lot from him, but he's getting some good matchups. And then we have Sean McVay versus Bruce Arians. Oh wow, the dad strike. This is could be I a father son match. Really? Yeah. This is like Viz for Shane at WrestleMania 17. Bruce Bruce has a ton of experience. Yeah. He's got I, some I think size. So, right? We're leaning Bruce here. I'm definitely leaning Bruce. Yeah. Okay. McVay looks, you know, like he's in good shape. But there's something about Bruce. Strategy wise, I don't know. We haven't seen him coach McVay coach yet. We don't know what his strategy is gonna be. Yeah. You know, he could be, you know, waiting on the on the sideline and not really sure what to do. It could be indecisive. What move do I do next? Yeah, exactly. He could crumble under the pressure. Bruce crumble. has been there. You know, Bruce knows. So, do you have Bruce over McDermott getting to the finals? Or getting to the final four, I should say? Well, here's the thing, because the argument that I used for McDermott over Fox was, you know, the endurance, the <laughs> potential speed. <laughs> oh, man. 
Here's yeah, let's go. Let's talk this out. Bruce is a bull. Or maybe even a hippo. But a hippo, you know, is more deadly than a lion and you know, that's safari. just a fact. That's a fact. That's you just, know, I've just, read that fact. in zoo books as, yeah. a, as a child. Yeah. Um I think zoo books is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it could have been. Yeah, I think it was a no. series. But furthermore. McDermott can run around all he wants. You're eventually gonna have to get close. If you want to, right. you know, if you want to advance, grab the bull by its horns. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you don't want to do that, but yeah. you know, if you want to advance, you're going to have to. And I think the second that McDermott gets close enough, Bruce is all over him. Wow, Bruce Arians, all right. I, I'm Bruce might be my favorite so far. Just, I mean, I'm all, all right. I'm so all for it. Bruce Arians in the final four of our hypothetical coach hunger games. Let's go to the Bill Romanowski region. Adam Gase, Doug Marone, one eight matchup. Uh, well, we can move through some of these that aren't going to be that Doug tough. Marone. He just, would destroy Adam Gase. It wouldn't even be a question. No, no. Come on. Uh, dude, Doug Marone Adam looks Gase, soft. Adam Gase. Yes. Adam Gase is at least young and <laughs> I forgot fit. about the Bears connection. Yeah, but. Okay. No, no I'll, I'll, I'll see this one to you. I mean, what's your case for Marone? Just size. Size and old man strength. It's Definitely has some old man strength. Size and old man strength. That guy's opened a lot of olive jars. I will let this go, and I'll give you Gase here because I think it's a mood point when we get to the second round match if I'm looking ahead. But, okay. you want to? I, we'll go Adam Gase for your intensive purposes here. Where's Marone coaching now? Because this region's loaded. Marone is the new, new uh, Jaguars coach. That's they right, promoted that's him. That's right. Yeah, I know. It's, it's hard to believe he even I made know, it. Congratulations man. on making the tournament. Coughlin's pulling the strings over there. There are some quick ones in this region, though, that I know we'll agree on, especially with the 2-7 matchup, Jack Del Rio and Bill O'Brien. If we disagree here, I'm going to be very upset. I mean, Jack Del Rio is a USC Trojan. Exactly. And he's an NFL player. And he's got that crazy look in his eye. Vegas Raiders. Yeah. Bill O'Brien looks like the drunk dad at your Little League game. Or wedding. Or wedding. Or mitzvah. Party of any sort. Yeah. He's like Tim Riggins' dad. Just trying to tape the football to his son's hands. I think. Even when he coaches, he looks like he's a drunk relative trying to coach. (laughs) Yeah. They just pulled him in (laughs) from the stands. Yeah, sorry, Bill. Del Rio's a, a nasty boy, and I think that'd be a Goldberg-like squash match. I really. What do is that. he's a former linebacker, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's an odds-on. Get out of here, He's a betting favorite in this whole definitely, time. definitely. Three six, Mike Tomlin and Mike Malarkey. Now Malarkey <laughs> and the Tomlin, I know they have some history there. Yeah, Malarkey's a right. former lineman. Yeah, Tomlin. I feel like he's, and I don't want to over say he's overrated. I know there's passion there. But I just don't know in a confrontation what Tomlin would do. He might be crazy. We don't know. Yeah. But I know, and this is one where I think I'm going to go with the sure thing. Malarkey played in the trenches. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be an ugly match. He's going to muck it up. And he's, but he's willing to play in the trash, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Malarkey's <laughs> well on his way from dad strength to grandpa strength. But he kind of looks like maybe... He spent some time in Nam or something. Yeah, right. Like, like some flashbacks. Or like whatever. he, like I don't know, I don't know how many fights Tomlin has been in. You know, he does also. Tomlin does have a bit of a crazy eye, kind of like Bruce. But who? Wait, who's who's the who's the <laughs> six seed? That uh, Malarkey's the six seed. Now, this, this is all random. Up, I know. I, I know. like that it six might three be match. An upset. It I'm, might be okay. An upset. Malarkey here. We got it. We'll go Malarkey here. No offense to Tomlin, but no, it's a tough matchup. Larky's got net. Tomlin could have made it the would finals. Be very, of our this would be like an overtime matchup. Yeah, for sure. four five. Dan Quinn versus Sean Payton. I know Sean Payton does CrossFit. I know he's getting himself really? in better shape. I did not know that. And he's got a mean streak. He loves to chew gum on the sideline. He's a strategist. 
Dan Quinn looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, do you need anything else? That's There's what I'm going to say, that. right? Like, he's coming out drinking beer and jean shorts and a vest. He's not letting Sean Payton run around from him. He's, he's flipping him the bird. He might stun the referee for all we know. But Dan Quinn is my pick here, and this is one I would fight you over. I don't, <laughs> I don't see Sean Payton causing any sort of physical harm to anyone. I mean... It's not don't. a knock on CrossFit. Just no, want to point no, that out I mean, before we get bombarded here. God bless him if he CrossFits. Um, that's tough stuff, but I don't know. I can't see him in that in that aspect. I think I think Quinn would win. Okay, I'm digging. I'm digging the uh, divisional matchup. Yeah, there. another one, right? Some bad blood. Quinn versus Gase, second round, and that's why I gave you Gase because I can't see. I couldn't see either Gase or Marone beating. Dick. I was looking ahead. I cheated a little bit, but no, did you do no, a bracket? Right. You look ahead. You got it. Quinn's got to beat Gase, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I just like, one of the things, by the way, I know this is hypothetical and you might have trouble following us, but one of the things I talk about in this WWE-style tournament, how they handle a bad call, if you go absolutely berserk, style points in this yeah, list. It, Remember when those Falcons got screwed in that Seahawks game? Yes. I thought Quinn was going to run onto the field, gorilla press slam the official, Rip his shirt off and do God knows what. Quinn has rage, and you can tell. You know, neck vein rage. Yes, and Gaze Gaze is too concerned about being cool. I feel like you know he's he's he doesn't show a lot of emotion. I think Quinn would just go crazy on him like an ape. <laughs> Not only neck vein, but you know he's he's a bald guy, shaves his head. The head vein when you have this very intimidating, <laughs> yeah. you know, when, when you're when a bald guy and he gets mad, you can see that extra vein at the top yeah. of his skull. You, you can't you can't concentrate. It's just pulsating in your face, like malarkey versus Jack Del Rio. In the wow. two six. Sorry, malarkey. JDR, yeah, JDR. Again. Malarkey, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't. Even I know fully we were sold on Grandpa strength, but Del Rio is like the son. Like I'm the man now. Like, yeah, this is my yeah. household. I'm gonna be grilling. I'm, I'm gonna be marrying your daughter. Yeah, exactly. yeah <laughs> I'll be handling like, the grill. Like, you can get me a beer. Yes, you know? exactly. I'm the man now. Well, don't even flip my brats. No, no don't no. even look at him. No, it's sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yeah. Okay. Jack Del Rio versus Dan Quinn. Oh my God! Like, how is this an elite eight match? That's a good one. I'll let you go first because I'm torn on this one. I, I still see Jack as the favorite here. Yeah, I think Dan Quinn can show some rage. He does look like Stone Cold, which is a ton of points in my book. But Jack looks like he may have killed a man with his hands already. I think he – well, he might have. I don't want to speculate. Maybe in a in, – in a, It was probably well, self-defense. In a dog pile yeah. in, in a game, you know. <laughs> right, you know. Is this still the Romanowski? This is the Romanowski. This is perfect because so I final. pictured Del Rio as a Romanowski type when he was playing. Well, and I want to say, too, playing experience matters. Del Rio had a, had a pretty good career. We know he's he's got the pedigree. And I think, as intimidating as Dan Quinn looks, Del Rio doesn't need to necessarily show it. Like, we're intimidated by him, and he doesn't show it. Yeah, all he doesn't show it at all. Yeah, no. I How think... crazy could this man be? And he's got a name, Del Rio. I mean, that's it, a perfect wrestling gimmick right Yeah. You could have JDR on his jacket. But know. Alberto's already no, already Alberto. got it. He would oh, have yeah. to maybe tag team. Or, or a feud there. That's a money-making feud. So, all right, we get Del Rio in the final four. Nick Edmonds, Mitch Michaels, Money Mitch Effect. Let's go to the Lyle Zato region, another crazy guy from back in the day. Look <laughs> up his story if you want to know why he is in is a title-carrying member of a region. 1-8 matchup, Jason Garrett versus Anthony Lynn. I got I, I got to go in here because I just can't take Garrett seriously, whether it's fighting or coaching. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot about Lynn, but I know that I don't see Jason Garrett beating anyone in a feat of strength. Right, and I feel like he's going to be unsure the whole time. He's going to be looking up at Jerry Jones from the, from the tower and the suite, like, what do I do here? Yeah. Am I allowed to play this guy? What happens? And I think Lynn's just going to go on adrenaline. I, I think it's just a purely an adrenaline fight. I think it's going to be a short one. I don't know that Garrett uh, is going to win. Apologies to all you redheads out there that thought <laughs> that you could have uh, somebody of your of your own hair color in the finals, but no, it's not going to happen. Like, it's like Jerry Jones would like try to micromanage and interfere the match. Maybe he'd come in with like a chair or something, and then Lynn would end up getting it. You know, it would backfire somehow. Yeah. Well, we'll move on. Dirt Cutter, the seven seed, John Harbaugh, the two seed. Tough one here, but I'm leaning Harbaugh. He's got youth on his side. He's got the Harbaugh pedigree, which he's the most sane of the Harbaugh's, which, uh, what does that mean? Like, you're, what, the most sane of, like, the McMahon family? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but here's the thing. Cutter's old. Cutter looks <laughs> like he reads books by, by the fireside with little librarian glasses. This guy is not intimidating. John, if nothing else, had to grow up with Jim. Had to grow up with that Tasmanian devil. So... I'm sure they've had some brother brawls in the past that have probably trained John, you know, for played, a fight. And fun fact about John Harbaugh, played college football at Miami of Ohio where his roommate was flying Brian Pillman of the WWF. Whoa! So there's your fun fact of the day. It's a wrestling tie-in. I agree with the Harbaugh point, and I think Jim is Jim. He's got size. He played pro, you know. But I know John won a lot of those battles by outsmarting him. Yeah, Which I don't think it's that hard to do. No, but probably uses words, you know, strategy. I'm, yeah, I'm, people I'm lose not. their wits in battle. You know, I think John is very good about keeping them. I'm sure Pop Harbaugh made them fight a lot for his love. You know, yeah. pretty similar in strength. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, Harbaugh there. And then Vance Joseph, the three seed versus Marvin Lewis, the six seed. What a what an interesting matchup. I I can't picture Marvin doing anything. The guy looks very soft. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Pillowy. I, I mean, Vince Joseph's younger, more athletic. Marvin Lewis doesn't know. I mean, he. the good thing about losing this fight for Marvin Lewis is going to have the job next year with the Bengals, regardless of what happens. Sure, so yeah, no matter what happens. He's job security, yep. so he's fine. And the 4-5 matchup, Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer, a rematch of the playoff game from two years ago in the cold. Pistol Pete. Now, I know you got the USC connection. I know he's the oldest guy on this list. He's in cardio shape. And I would pick him to beat a lot of other guys, but Zimmer does have that mean streak in him. Zimmer definitely has a mean streak in him. He looks like a very mean dad who like makes you go to like military school or something. Like he he looks like he was brought up very tough. Now No chews a lot of tobacco. Yeah. Is, you know. Immediately when I think Pete Carroll, I think of Ric Flair. And so I can just picture Pete coming out extremely cocky. A lot of woos right in Zimmer's face, you know. And Zimmer, I'm sure the whole time, is just thinking about that playoff match that he should have won, the missed field goal by Blair Walsh, and I think that alone would, would drive him. I think I think Pete would come in a little bit too cocky, and I think he would make a mistake, like right. maybe passing at the one-yard line. Exactly. And um, I, th- I think Zimmer would sneak this one out. I don't know how far Zimmer's going to go, but yeah. I think Pete would make a mistake. And Zimmer would agree with that. Capitalize. I agree with the heel like tendencies of Pete Carroll, where if you're a fan of his, you love it, but it could be really annoying if you root against it. It would, yeah, it would be an extremely entertaining match. I'm sure 
Carol would bring a ton of flair. He'd probably come out in a bedazzled robe. Yeah, um, custom made. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think he would slip up. All right, so then we have Zimmer versus Anthony Lynn. I, I got to go Zimmer to keep it going. We don't know much about Lynn. I, I don't, don't know, know that he's going to be able to make that. You know, the decision-making is tough here because this is a strategy thing, too. You know what you're going to get out of Zimmer, the bulldog. Yeah. I like him here. I'm, I'm Lynn, going with Lynn is a. I think Lynn is a big guy. Yeah. I think he. I don't know if he's a former player or what, but the few times that I've seen him, he looks he looks pretty big. But yeah, I think Zimmer's still got that edge experience. Yeah, he looks like another like he could have been a nom or something like some right. Sort of you know, win. and I could see this ending with like a finish where Lynn's coming with like a submission, and Zimmer just gets his shoulders down. Like, just yeah. steals the match based yeah. on experience and just outsmarts him. You know, maybe a backslide pin or, or something like that. Zimmer doing backslides, getting all the way to the Elite Eight. Yeah. The other matchup is Vance Joseph and John Harbaugh, which so far was the only 2-3 matchup we've had. So the only time we've had two versus three. Make it that far on the seeds. You, I'm st- i got to be honest. I'm still brimming with uh, confidence over that Harbaugh uh Description you put into my head, and I, and yeah, I like Harbaugh here. And the thing is, I think after one win, Harbaugh's beast mode, I think, would come out. He's a special teams guy, yeah. so he's got that background of being the crazy guy that's a motivator that yeah, needs to get his energy true. up. That's true. I think that's big in this fight. I just think just getting past one round, he'll be good to go. He'll be just more animalistic. <laughs> and, yeah, I think he's still got, you know, I think he's one of the smartest coaches, and, you know, not only the special teams thing that you mentioned gives him energy, but he probably thinks outside the box, makes yeah. trick plays, something like that. So I think I think he goes another round. Then we got Harbaugh and Zimmer to get to the final four. Who wins it? I mean, how many how much rest do these guys have? <laughs> That's clean? a good question. Because I don't know how far Zimmer can go. The guy <laughs> the guy is tough. This seems I mean, this does seem like a good place for it to end. I not her so. whole hand, yeah. where Zimmer raises Harbaugh's hand at the end. Yeah, says, "Go on, my son." Win I, the whole I thing. think so. I think so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like I like John more and more. I wow, think he's Johnny got I think he's got a big edge. You know, this like wow. very very PC kind of squeaky <laughs> clean. But I think the final four just flip a switch, getting ridiculous. <laughs> wow. All right, so Harbaugh's there. One more region to go. It's the Jim Moore region on the Money Mitch effect. Mitch Michaels, Nick Edmonds, our hypothetical breakdown of. What would happen if a giant battle royal broke out among NFL coaches? The 1-8 matchup, Bill Belichick 1, Hugh Jackson 8. How ironic is it that this is like the power ranking of the NFL? Yeah. <laughs> that happened right. in a 1-8 matchup. Oh, Bill. He's an old guy. He's got the strategy factor. But I know we like to suspend belief here. No way I would ever believe that Bill Belichick in any sort of competition one-on-one would be anybody. No. no. <laughs> but Hugh I mean, Jackson. I don't think that guy's done anything physical in a long time. I think Hugh Jackson, I don't think he's in great shape, but I think he's in better shape than Bill, and I think that is enough to get him to the next round. I don't love either of these guys, to be honest, but I think it's enough to beat Bill. I don't think it takes much to beat Bill. (laughs) No, I don't. Sometimes just maybe a boat in Nantucket, that's all. Yeah, I mean, he'd much rather be there. He might just forfeit. He might. Might yeah. forfeit the pick, you know. Just like he doesn't. He show might up. get kicked out of the com- of the competition for yeah. spying on his you know, opponent. He doesn't show up to the coaches the coaches meeting. He's never in the coaches picture. He might just not show up. No, that's you a know? good point. Well, a two seven matchup that I think could be one of our most lopsided Uh-oh. 
Number two seed, Ben McAdoo, versus number seven seed, and another favorite in this competition, good old Ron Rivera of the Carolina oh, Panthers. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? This is blood sport. This is going to yes. be throwing the damn towel. <laughs> I've, I've, had, I've got a little bit of a theme going with the crazy eyes, and it doesn't get much crazier than Ron's. Ron, can we have Jim Ross call this match? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what a riverboat Ron! Yeah, you know, he's already got the name. He's got the WWE name. That's it. He's dead. <laughs> uh, McAdoo is a doofus. I'm gonna pull out that word for me. He looks like Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, the guy's never had a piece of clothing that fits him right. He always wears baggy clothing. He just looks like a doofus. I'm gonna bring it back. He's a doofus. <laughs> Rivera is a former linebacker. The guy is tough as nails. He looks crazy. He, he's on. He's moving on. He is moving on. Enough said. We'll get to him in a few moments. Andy Reid versus Mike McCarthy in the comedy section of our show. <laughs> the uh, the FUPA matchup, whatever you want to call it. Oh, man. You know what? I was so ready to write off Andy Reid, but against McCarthy, maybe he has a chance. I know. I know. I think he might have gotten lucky with the matchup. Um because, I mean, they have the same strength, which is size, and Andy beats him in size. McCarthy's not going to outsmart him, I don't think, or outrun him. Or outjump him. <laughs> outjump him. I just think, you know, these two get in a real, like, close quarters battle. <laughs> not a lot of distance covered no. in this fight. Andy may eat him alive. He might. might we don't know what Andy's yeah. capable of. No. I think Andy wins just by falling on top of him. Yeah. And just leverage. Yeah. You know, Not as soon as McCarthy gets in, yeah, they both fall. Well, Maybe Andy rolls over. Yeah. All right. Andy Reid moves on, but probably not for much longer. No. Four or five matchup, last first round. Jay Gruden versus Jim Caldwell. What a what a comedy region, oh, this man. Jim Moore region. Yeah. Andy These are not specimens. <laughs> I can't pick Jim Caldwell to beat anybody in anything, sport or non-sport, so I'd probably go Gruden here. A lot of living in John's shadow. Sure. I think Jay comes out you know, upset. People have already written him off. Jim Caldwell is just going to have that blank look on his face the whole fight. He's the yeah. kind of guy that doesn't know he's in a fight yeah. until it's too late. And, I mean, Jay is a former pro athlete. Yeah. What was it, indoor? indoor he played football? quarterback, and, and, yeah, he was an arena football arena, player. Yeah. But you know he's got he's got so some, was Kurt Warner <laughs> yeah he's got some athleticism he's got the instincts yeah Jim Caldwell's just a deer in the headlights deer in the headlights he doesn't know what to do all right Gruden versus Hugh Jackson <laughs> oh. we can't even buy a good matchup in this region well these two used to coach together right I think so Bengals I think they were both Bengals Bengal staff. staff. I think so. I'd say Gruden here just because he's got the athletic pedigree. Just to yeah, move on. I, yeah. You know, we got to go with him here. Then Andy Reid, Ron Rivera. Well, the question isn't who wins, but how long this goes. Yeah. And does Rivera do the, the crazy moment to make us all pop as wrestling fans? Does he lift Andy Reid up? You know, maybe the ring breaks <laughs> oh, or something. Oh, yeah. You know. That would be awesome. Yeah. Know. Rivera there. And then Rivera versus Gruden. Still like the the Riverboat Ron train. I love Riverboat What an easy region for him to just annihilate. Like, could you? Oh yeah, he's, <laughs> he's cakewalk. Like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> he might not guy, even like, break a sweat in this region. Could you imagine like getting that stare? Like the thought of like pissing off Ron Rivera and him like turning to you and just giving you that like crazy look, where he's like looking at you but he's not really looking at you. He's like, no, it's not a big deal, but just you know, wait till the lights yeah, are out. But you're he's on out. my list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
He's, wow. he's up there in Intimidation Factor. So we're going to say final four is Rivera versus John Harvoff. And then the other side of it is Bruce Arians versus Jack Del Rio. Oh. Can we? Can we? Okay. I know what the final is going to be. I know who they're going to be. <laughs> so I'll let you get anything off your chest what you want to say about these semifinal matchups. All right, sure. Because we know what this was all building towards. So I think I think we do. Uh, so Rivera is Rivera Harbaugh, mm-hmm. right? I mean, John, you had a good run. Rivera is a madman. He's like he's like Macho Man, I think. Maybe not the charisma of Macho Man. The cream of the like, crop, though, rising to yes, the top. Yes, definitely. I, I just... This is... No, that's good because I like that comparison. And I like, on the other side... Because Del Rio, we assume, is just going to roll through Arians. He's more ultimate warrior. He's going to sprint out to the ring. He's going to go nuts. Yes. Get, yeah. get going crazy. Has strength and also some adrenaline. You it's get, a very good final. It is. And we're lucky they were on the opposite sides of the bracket. Yes. This is a very, very good final. They're both former linebackers. Both very tough. Top two, probably. If we would have just done this without brackets, yeah, that's, they're probably the top two in the yeah, power ring. I'm very happy with this final. Um, <laughs> Tough though. I can't pick is, one right now because they're. I mean, I I look at them so similarly in my book. You know, I'll I'll go first because we can have split opinions on this. I want to get to this point and then we can go our own way. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Riverboat Ron. Okay, I like him in this matchup because I think part of it is just implying this is never gonna happen. I mean, it might happen. We don't know, but they're not gonna get into a fist fight in the middle of real life. So. We think what would hypothetically happen. And Jack Del Rio seems like he's more of a nicer, down-to-earth, calm guy. Not that Rivera isn't a nice guy, but he has that look. He has that chaotic background where you're not sure what he's capable of. (laughs) And also, too, I feel like Rivera's kept a little bit of his size where Jack Del Rio slimmed down a little bit. Looks like yeah. he was on the Nutrisystem. Yeah. You know, he, he Eating dinners with Chris Berman. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, who knows in their prime, maybe it's a different story, but I think Rivera's got some, a size edge on him now. And that could be, you know, a big factor, you know, when these guys are so similar, I think, I think Rivera just Batista bombs him. Right, it's a long match. Because he's blood. that light. I think I think he could pick him up. I think he could pick Del Rio up. A lot of blood. Yeah. A lot of strategy in the woods or ring or wherever this match takes place. I'm kind of picturing, like, uh, Rivera coming out of, like, some still water with, like, a knife in his mouth. Kind of like... Uh, a little, yeah. Could be a little Rambo. Deer Hunter. Yeah, yeah, or Rambo, Deer Hunter, yeah. yeah. All right. That's going to do it. That was fun. I'm glad we walked through that. Now we kind of know where everyone yeah, stands. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, if you ever place in a bed or you just have to decide on who you think is going to win you always got that coach hierarchy now in the back of your mind i know and it's it's how march madness works it's just the luck of the draw yeah yeah some really you weak know. regions some really strong ones yeah it just happens well nick evans this was fun we covered a lot last thing before i let you go fast eight this weekend is it this weekend it's this weekend it's wow. tomorrow it's the time this podcast will be released it is <laughs> out already if you're listening to i i am so curious as to how they're going to twist this because i i really don't believe that dom is bad vin diesel's character is bad but they're really selling it in the trailer and i'm sure he's going to be bad for part of the movie it's a good sell because i really want to know it, it has to be and we haven't seen this this is just me speculating it has to be 
Somebody has some dirt on him, and he's doing yes, it, yeah, something for his for the it's all for the family because Dom is like the number one proponent of family. He, like he, it's I got, his motto. I have a, the I like this series. I'm hooked on the movies. Certain things they'll kind of rub me the wrong way. Number one being everybody goes from like bad to good to bad, back and forth. Like it's it's hard to keep track of who the villains are now. Now Jason Statham is working on the good yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, and like The Rock was kind of bad at first, or. Yeah, not, well, he, not he bad, was opposing but the group. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they uh, they get away with a lot. They spend believability as much as wrestlers, if not more. Um, but I'm interested to see how the Paul Walker character is kind of. No, he's not going to be in it. No, he's he? not going to be in it. But what I mean is, they they've opened the possibility that it's going to be reference because he was not killed. Like I mean, oh, yeah. in real life, obviously Paul Walker died, but Brian is still. He kind of just went his own way. So if it's a point of reference, what they do, they've even been open to the idea of using the brothers to stand in if they need to further the story. I don't want them Interesting. to. I yeah. think at the end, what is, they they drove off their separate paths mm-hmm. at the end of the last one. You could reference him. Oh, he's doing this. You know, he's undercover or something. something. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to see the brothers. I don't want to see CGI Paul Walker. No. I think they ended it as well as they could last time. And you know you just do it without him, or maybe maybe they tie him into the reason why Dom is a bad guy. Yeah, that, you know, yeah. It's, it's a possibility. But I do think it is something like that where Charlize Theron's character has something on Dom. Either I have this dirt on you, or if you don't help us, maybe we'll, it's we'll an do affair. This to, yeah, <laughs> that would be bad. I wouldn't yeah. want to mess with Michelle Rodriguez. I am looking forward to Dom's turn back to the good side at some point, and I think he's just going to unleash hell. And there's going to be a great. Like man warrior handshake, like a big forearm handshake. Yeah. Well, you followed that they've got maybe a little Cold War hostility going yes. on there. I don't yes. know if it's scripted or not, but <laughs> kayfabe. Kayfabe. I don't know what's happening. All I know is, why would you upset the Rock? I know Vin Diesel's got size on him, but not the Rock. Not, not the Dwayne rock. the Rock the size. Is a mountain of meat. I mean, um, it's uh, it, it's an interesting dynamic too because Vin Diesel is the Fast and Furious franchise. Like yeah. he is the face of the franchise, he has control over that. In that world, he is king. Okay, let's step one step outside of that world, and The Rock is the king in the movie scene. Right, right. So I think it's kind of a power struggle too. It, it might is. be. It reminds me of the Mega Powers blowing up. It because definitely because I mean Savage had you know Vin Diesel being Savage, and The Rock is Hulk Hogan. Then I yeah. mean he's a bigger star by any metric outside of the Fast and Furious franchise like, than Vin Diesel. The Rock is the top dog right now. You know highest. Grossing actor of last year, I believe. But like you said, Fast franchise is Vince, you know? He built it from the ground up. I think it's probably brothers fighting, you know, sibling rivalry. You're not always going to get along. I mean, maybe they're using it, maybe they were using it for for their roles, you know? They knew that they were going to be enemies in this new movie, so they had some real beef to kind of fuel the the fire a little bit. I'm definitely going to see it. I mean, I'm going to keep seeing them if they keep making them. It's just... I know they're getting ridiculous, but like you go knowing that. I'm you know? close to checking out. I gotta be honest. <laughs> I saw the last movie because it was the tribute to Paul Walker. Yes. And it was good. The ending was really good how they did it, but the movie kind of started to lose me. This might be if it's if this one's bad, there's a very good chance that I don't the see that. The thing is then. you go knowing what you're getting yourself into, you go for the action, you go for the corny, you know, jokes, you go for Tyrese and Ludacris roasting each other. There's a formula that they have down, and it works. So it's almost like an old, going to see an old friend at this point. The cars on the tank, so the yes, cars parachuting right. in. Like what? Like how are they going to top the last one? You know, how are they going to how are they going to top 
what was it, five or six, where they're dragging a giant five. safe. Five, they take uh, Argent or all the money out of Brazil. They're dragging the a giant years. safe behind them yeah. and using it as a weapon. Like, these guys were just quarter-mile drag racers in the first movie. <laughs> yeah, six, they fight terrorists. Yeah. I, I mean, so at this point, I'm all in, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to see. It's going to be exciting. I know we're going to be talking about this, but thanks again, Nick, for coming on the show. This yeah, man. is fun. We talked chopped up for a while. Congrats to Ron Rivera. Maybe he'll be in Fast 9. He has to be. Well, I mean, I think it's the natural progression to yeah. go from winning the coach hierarchy to being yeah. in Fast 9. I think this, this tournament is going to open up a lot of doors for him. He might not even coach next He season. might not. I wouldn't. So. <laughs> Thanks again, Nick, for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Huge thanks to Nick Edmonds, the man, the myth, the legend, for coming on the show. Congrats to Ron Rivera as well for winning our Battle Royale. You know when Nick comes on, it's going to get very entertaining, and that will happen again in the future. And remember, Fate of the Furious, like you're calling it Fast 8, but that's what it is to me. Make sure you guys go see that as well. It should be an entertaining movie. All right, now it's time to switch sports and talk to Bradford Bruns, my resident, or one of my resident college football analysts and experts. But he's also a big NBA fan as well. Bradford has covered sports in the St. Louis market, both print and on radio, on air for many years. We're going to talk about the first round of the NBA playoffs. Eight series in total. Cavs and Warriors trying to meet in the final for the third straight year. Will they start their trek with ease or will there be some road bumps there? Some good first round matchups as well as the Thunder and the Rockets. And who is the MVP? We talk about all that in a lengthy segment with Bradford Bruns. Here it is now in the Money Mitchell Press. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect Hotline, a reoccurring guest, Bradford Bruns. Bradford, thanks for joining the show. It's not football season, but with the basketball <laughs> playoffs up, it'll do. Mitch, it's always a pleasure. Great to be back with you. And hey, it was great to have actually have been in your native state just a couple of weeks ago. As I told you, made a quick flyby through the great state of Ohio. And believe it or not, I was only there for about a period of 24 hours. But speaking of football, the Browns already offered me a spot on their advisory board. So read from that what you will. I'm just I'm glad you didn't say to, to try out for quarterback. I mean, I haven't seen you play, but I wouldn't put it past what the Browns are doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Heaven it's knows. Little... There's plenty of time to parse through all of those variables. Goodness. Yeah. Oh. It's very unfortunate, but this is uh, still Browns notwithstanding. A good time of year with the hockey playoffs already going and the NBA playoffs starting tomorrow, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact. So we're getting ready for some big playoffs in a lot of these sports. And we shift our attention now, Bradford, to the NBA, which we're both basketball fans, but I want to set the table with this. The finals are two months away. This is the first round of the playoffs. Every series is best of seven. There's a lot of days off in between. So if you're one of these elite teams, you know, there's only a handful in this regular season, it would seem. It would probably be a little hard at times to keep focus. What do you think the chief operative is? I mean, obviously you want to win these games, but how can these teams right. stay focused as they begin the marathon of the NBA playoffs? 
Well, to be perfectly frank, I think that a lot hinges on just the collective abilities, the collective experience, how much your team has in that regard, or if it's a bit more green for that matter, too. We know, Mitch, that down the stretch of the regular season, how many instances of back-to-back contests did we see across the league? Now, when it comes time for the next set of negotiations at the table, when the league powers that be go with the owners and we have all those different cases and instances of dialogue that's probably going to be remedied to some extent but for me if I'm a veteran laden team and I'm looking at the course of the next couple of months and I'm examining really more than anything else the marathon nature of it all going round by round I'm loving the extra day here and there because I know that I'm going to be able to especially if you a lot of have a lot of mileage on your team, you have a lot of mileage for veteran guys, you're going to be able to regroup accordingly and get 48 hours plus. So four teams, for instance, like the San Antonio Spurs, like the Cleveland Cavaliers that have been there year after year, that ability to recalibrate, so to speak, I think that's absolutely huge. Whereas for some of these younger teams, you know, teams like the Bucks, teams like the Celtics that tended to thrive in those situations during the course of the regular season, it is going to be a bit more difficult insofar as you don't necessarily get to carry that momentum from one night to the next. So I think it's about how these coaching staffs, how these teams, just depending on the different temperament of a squad, really will be able to handle it. And that's what makes for some fascinating contrast because I think you have teams, Mitch, really wildly swinging on both sides of the spectrum there. You've got a lot of young newbies, particularly in the East, and then the old reliables in the West that know time after time, hey, this is how it goes. We've prepared ourselves accordingly. Now can we just execute to be able to advance again round by round? Yeah, the the only thing I'm gonna I'm gonna point out, and I agree with a lot of what you said, and it is good for the quality of basketball to have these days off, especially in the first round, mm-hmm. is that it's TV based, and there's a little bit of a hypocrisy there. When in the regular season you'll play four out of five nights to get a back to back on prime time, but sure. TNT or ESPN want to have forty games and forty nights and everybody on prime time when it's not necessarily the case in other sports. But I see what you're saying, and it does make sense that we're trying to get the best quality out there. It's just as a fan's perspective, we get a little impatient. We want to see more basketball. We don't want to have to wait two or three days for for it to come back to us to see our favorite players. So, all right, let's go in now. I want to start with the actual first-round playoff preview. Bradford Bruns on the Money Mitch Effect. And we'll go east to west. There's a lot of interesting series from for a lot of variety of reasons, Bradford, from the front of the outcomes mm-hmm. in question to the out to the front of we want to see how these teams perform in the first round see if they can build on it going forward let's start with the surprising number one seed in the east the boston celtics and a team that frankly i don't think either of us expected to make the playoffs and the chicago bulls that's the 1-8 matchup bradford i'm shocked to see this on paper and in real life and i'm interested to see how this boston celtics team adjusts to the pressures of being the number one seed now Exactly. As opposed to having to hunt down the Cavs, as opposed to having to, you know, play that underdog card in a manner of speaking. Now, let's not get it twisted. The Celtics are clearly still, you know, that team with the proverbial chip on their shoulder. As evidence, there's no better evidence than Isaiah Thomas, the leading scorer for that squad. But being in this position, yeah, it's going to be very intriguing to see exactly how the Celtics respond, and in a matchup that should favor them heavily on paper, the the clip at which or the speed with which 
so the Celtics can presumably dispatch the Bulls. Because you look at Chicago and credit this team for being able to have some semblance of consistency in the last couple of weeks of the season. Now, at the All-Star break, I certainly didn't think that this squad whatsoever, with all the turmoil, all the behind-the-scenes nonsense and so forth, would have any chance of qualifying for the playoffs. I thought they'd pack it in. You'd already start to look ahead to an offseason of, will they or won't they, murmurs with respect to Jimmy Butler. But, hey, the Bulls are obviously here. Unless Butler, though, is able to have an absolutely gargantuan series every time through, I just, I don't see, I can't fathom, Mitch, a scenario where this Bulls team can compete, can really even take a contest. Because you have Dwayne Wade, he's coming off of the elbow fracture, he's only playing 18 to 20 minutes a night. Does he have some classic vintage Dwayne Wade-style games left in him? I'm not sure about that. Ray John Rondo, he was great for the last couple of weeks of the season, at least it spurts here and there. But what are you going to get from him when it really counts here? I just don't think this team has the ability to stretch the Celtics defensively quite enough. And Thomas, we understand that he is one of the Herculean players in this league. I don't think that he's getting enough credit with respect to the MVP conversation. But you just think about what exactly this team is like on the floor when he's out there. 113.7 points per 100 possessions. And then you think about the offensive efficiency when he does have to leave the floor occasionally, it goes down to 98.6. I don't envision any problems here for the Celtics. As a matter of fact, I'm seeing this team as helmed by Brad Stevens actually showing its medal, showing, hey, we picked up this number one seed for a reason and winning in four straight. I want to be be brief with this. It's not going to be like the first round series of 2010 where it was Bulls Celtics classic playoff and it was one of the best ever. I think in Boston's case, the one area where you, you don't want to say you're concerned, but you want to see how they adjust is a guy like Jimmy Butler, a superstar player that they're going to run into again it's, as the rounds progress. Can they deal with somebody on the wing that could cause damage like Butler? But Chicago's not a threat because their backcourt can't shoot from long distance. I mean, it's, it's one of the worst out there with, I mean, the aging Dwayne Wade, which maybe can dial the clock back for a game. I don't know about a best of seven. Rondo is mm-hmm. Rondo. He, he's a creator. He's a disruptor all in the same vein. I think Boston, their depth, their coaching advantage that you mentioned should roll relatively easy here. And there are vulnerabilities in Boston. Don't you know, we got to you know really make sure we address that. But uh-huh. I don't think Chicago is the team that's going to expose it. I think this was a good first-round matchup. I think they're one of those teams that's happy Miami didn't make the playoffs. I think Boston moves on pretty easily. Totally concur. And Boston does have, as you mentioned or hinted at, you know, bugaboos there. Namely, we're talking about the perimeter defense, I think. But Chicago, as you stated, really devoid of a lot of consistent shooters from beyond the arc. Unless somebody like Amiritich is able to get out there and stretch the defense, I just don't see the series lasting very long. Well, with that, it's perfectly said. We'll move on to the next matchup. It's the 2-7 matchup, the defending champions, the Cleveland Cavaliers, taking on the Indiana Pacers. Seven seed that underachieved for a lot of the year. Turn it it on a little bit late. Paul George has become a menace down the stretch, and they not only get into the playoffs but get the seven seed. All right, let's start Mm -hmm. with this, Bradford. I, I know that the Cavs are the defending champs. They have LeBron James, who's been dominant for his entire career on the heels of last year's sensational run to winning a championship do you take heed in anything that has happened in the regular season down the stretch I know the Cavs have the pedigree and LeBron has championships 
but are you worried at all with how they play down the stretch? Is there any aspect of their game that makes you think, whoa, this may not be the best for what they're trying to do, and that's repeat? Number 23, no worries whatsoever. The team as a whole, absolutely, Mitch. I think you have to harbor some concerns about this squad because you think about the pedestrian record in the second half of the season, one game over 500 last couple of weeks of the season, that epic double overtime victory over Indiana in Cleveland, mind you, notwithstanding, this team just appeared entirely too disinterested for significant stretches of game. Look no further than the contest roughly a week or so ago against Atlanta. Atlanta's playing at scrubs at second and third stringers. Cleveland can't muster the intensity, the requisite intestinal fortitude at home to be able to win that contest, one that could have swung the number one seed back in its favor. I mean, LeBron down the stretch last two weeks of the regular season he's averaging 26 10 and 8 he's doing absolutely everything he can and mind you also looking very solid on the defensive end which is specifically where mitch i think this Cavs team certainly can be exploited the much i don't know exactly what has happened over the course of this season to make this team again lebron notwithstanding feel as if it can just flip that switch on the defensive end and, hey, magically you're able to muster that playoff-level intensity. I need to actually see it this time around. I need to see it. I need to see Tristan Thompson get back to his natural double-double mode. I need to see him dominating on the offensive glass. The sprained thumb, I don't think that's going to be much of an issue, but I need to see him dominate down low against Thaddeus Young, against some of the suspect guys in the post for the Pacers. Kevin Love, it's got to be there on both ends of the floor, on the perimeter, two you've got J.R. Smith somebody who has overcommitted at times Mon Shumpert I just need to see the effort level and the intensity again I never question it from LeBron but for the rest of this team I think you do have to worry about the surprising lack of energy vigor and enthusiasm down the stretch and Tyron Lue he bemoaned it too I mean I, you wonder if it's just a classic case of this squad collection of veterans and everything playing possum but i do think it's an older team it's a team that is now going to have to face a much tougher first round test in indiana than it would have otherwise against chicago had it been able to get the number one seed i certainly don't see anything along the lines of an upset here but i do think that indiana will take a game in this series lebron actually will drop a first round game for the first time since 2012 and maybe in a tough five, six series, it's going to be more taxing than Cleveland would have liked. And maybe that will play a role down the stretch here in the playoffs. You know, I think too, you get to kind of be careful about teams that want to just flip the switch. We've seen it in the past where we just assume that everything will be fine. And sometimes that is the case, but eventually that's going to run out if you keep going down that path. I think defensively you're dead on the money. I don't understand why this team is so poor. The only thing I, I don't get think, it. The only thing I could think of Bradford is some of the additions they've made, some of the acquisitions, whether it's Kyle Korver, whether it's some of the bench players they picked up. Not exactly elite level defenders. I, I wonder if this team, in an effort to repeat, in an effort to probably look at a Golden State or even a San Antonio down the road, if they've sacrificed offense for defense a little too much. But you like to see these guys engage. I mean, maybe too, Bradford, it's worth pointing out that this is a team that they won their championship last year. It's very hard to repeat. The motivation's not always there. Maybe that creeps in a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, especially with Thompson, you, you mentioned it, he needs to get back to where he was playing. Defensively, this team needs to play better. They can beat Indiana. I don't think that's on anybody's radar that they get upset. But when they get to the second round, and that's Toronto most likely, it, it's going to be a challenge. So I think 
I think Cleveland wins this series in about five or six, like you said, but this is one where I want to see that they're in playoff mode. And it's absolutely mandatory, Mitch, for Kyrie Irving to step up and be that classic catalyst or co-leader you know, leader with LeBron James, too. You already think about the responsibility that James is going to have to assume during this series defensively on Paul George. Irving can't idly sit there and basically you know, shoot 35% from the floor, as was the case down the stretch last few weeks of the season. You need to make sure that knee is good to go. He's able to do his thing offensively because there, once again, you're talking about someone else, this confounding Cavaliers defense. He's obviously a part of that. But yeah, from an offensive standpoint, you've got to see that. You've got to see Kyle Korver back in the lineup. You know that he's going to have his defensive foibles, being able to stretch the opposing defense. And also, I think you need to monitor just how good, how effective Indiana can be from the outside. If the Cavs are late on those rotations, Indiana can make you pay from deep. Not a lot of people recognize this is actually the second most efficient three-point shooting team from beyond the arc this season at about 38%. And also free throw line, they're very good too. So in a tight game, maybe a lot of physicality there, Indiana can definitely push Cleveland. There's one series that if I had to do a power ranking, Bradford, East or West, that I don't really have a lot of interest in, and that's 4-5 Washington, Atlanta. All due respect to <laughs> Atlanta, I just don't see it, and I don't ever trust. I mean, I made a lot of rules in my life, some life changes recently, and one of them is never trust the Dwight Howard playoff team. <laughs> I think the Wizards are an interesting team that could push for some Eastern Conference supremacy, and I think this will be a good test to see where they are. I, I just, I'm not buying Atlanta. I'm sorry. I know they had the two wins over a Cleveland team that was kind of checking out of the regular season, but is there any reason to think that Atlanta can make this a series? 13 straight seasons, averaging a double-double, Mitch. Believe in Dwight. No, actually, though, Dwight Howard was pretty effective for a great percentage of the regular season this year. But here's what I'm looking at with Atlanta, and it's impressive. This team now for a decade straight, 10 consecutive seasons, has made the playoffs. And yet, I'm looking at it, I was always viewing this season for Atlanta as one more of the transitional variety. You know, you've got, obviously, you had Jeff Teague depart. He goes to Indiana. Schroeder takes over at the point. You, of course, have Dwight Howard coming in, and you're still trying to figure out, I think, the long-term identity of this squad. And at around the All-Star break, I honestly wondered at that point, okay, are the Hawks really going to mix it up? Are they going to shift some pieces? Paul Millsap, I still think you have questions about whether he can be the guy in a playoff series. I'm looking at actually an X factor here, and I'm with you insofar as Washington. I don't think the Wizards will have that much of a, a problem here. But I'm interested to see how some of the younger guys on this Atlanta roster, guys who haven't played, who haven't logged as many minutes in the playoffs so far, the Schroeders, even somebody like a Tim Hardaway. You think about Kyle Korver already referenced when he was sent to the Cleveland Cavaliers at around the trade deadline. This is somebody who came on and averaged 18 points per game through the remainder of the regular season. Does Washington have the ability to get out and guard him to really protect against that inside-outside arsenal? All I know is that Washington has far and away the most talented, the backcourt with the greatest upside in that conference. The only quandary that I see, and I don't think it will come back to bite them in this series, frontcourt production on a night-in, night-out basis. I can't trust Otto Porter Jr. every single night now. I know he has a great ability to be that complement from beyond the arc to Beal and to Wall, but Markeith Morris, too, are you really telling me that you can count on those guys for consecutive seven-game series? It doesn't matter here. I like the Wiz long-term, though. 
over the long haul, I still have some questions about the constitution of this team. But having said all of that, I really don't think Washington, Mitch, is that far away. And I think it will definitely impress in this first round matchup against Atlanta. Yeah, the point guard matchup is what's going to set the tone, I think. You have Schroeder, who hasn't had the best season. I think we thought we could just, a lot of people thought we could just slide him into that role and he'll be fine. And John Wall's a beast. I mean, he's having his best year as a pro. He's got, mm-hmm. what I like to say, that dog in him where he, he, he takes it personal when he's compared to other point guards and says he doesn't measure up. He likes to have his best games when everybody's watching. Last year, Bradford, you saw this Hawks team get swept out of the playoffs by the Cavs, and the number one reason they did was they got shot out of the building from three. If Bradley Beal, the St. Louis native, is hitting his threes, I still don't know that the Hawks can defend the perimeter. I'd say five. It's a great story that the Hawks have got here, that Millsap and company have led them here, but I would be shocked mm-hmm. if they push this into a, into a lengthy series. I'm with you there. And Wall still seems, Mitch, after all these years, in my mind, at least to be criminally underrated. He's one of just three guys in the league averaging that point assist double-double. And look at it this way, the Wiz, 36-14 and 14, when he has one of those. So there will be quite a few over the course of the next couple of weeks. Last series in the Eastern Conference, the three-seed Toronto Raptors and the six-seed Milwaukee Bucks. Toronto coming in with big expectations, Brad, for the, the Eastern Conference runner-up from a year ago. And Milwaukee, they lose Jabari Parker, but it doesn't keep them out of the playoff picture. I want to talk about the Greek freak for a second, if I may. There's only been one player in NBA history to finish in the top 20 in all five major categories, and that was Giannis this year. So I'm mm. buying what he's selling. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I think this guy could be the face of the league in the years to come. But it's going to be a tough task to beat this Raptors team that was building up with some of the trades they made for this year. Depending on Kyle Lowry's health, this series could be interesting if the Greek freak steals some games himself, but I would be hard-pressed to actually pick Milwaukee in this series. I don't know how you're feeling, but that's my initial take on this matchup. I'm with you there. I do think that this is a highly intriguing matchup for a variety of different reasons, namely when you talk about Giannis and you talk about that unprecedented really combination of the athleticism and size and no matter how you felt about the way in which the most recent edition of the NBA All-Star game played out, it was nice to see him actually be able to get that stage and for more of the national recognition, I believe, to start to pour in because you already cited the statistical credentials there and there isn't anyone else like him simply put in the league. And I do wonder about his supporting cast to some extent. I like what you have in Chris Middleton backing him up. I think Maker's an okay guy, really that blue-collar guy who can fill it up in a lot of different categories, statistically speaking. But all the way around, I wonder, just despite how well Milwaukee did play after the All-Star break, and you think about the litany of back-to-backs, Mitch, that Milwaukee had to go through in March, swept four, Of those five, actually, in 14 wins last month, that was actually a league high. So Milwaukee, you could argue, actually under Jason Kidd, playing its best basketball of the season right now, and yet you go to the opposite end of the spectrum. You think about a highly motivated Toronto team, and I firmly believe this is the year in which the Raptors stop messing around in the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. Go back to last season, Mitch. Had to go seven games in each of the first two rounds. This team has finally been able to see, okay, what it takes, what it absolutely requires to make quicker work of its lesser adversaries in the first couple of rounds. And DeMar wrote to Rosen before you had James Harden, before you had Russell Westbrook having absolutely sensational historic campaigns. This is a guy who I would argue really – 
paced, led the way for the league through the first couple of weeks of the season. He can go off on any given night for 40-plus points. And with Kyle Lowry coming back, caught a couple of the Raptors games. He played in the last four, obviously, coming back from that wrist injury. Looked very, very solid. And this is somebody I still don't think he gets quite enough recognition for how deadly he is from the perimeter, too. Despite missing those 21 games, hey, he goes out, he sets a new career high with 192-3. So this is a backcourt that can absolutely rip you apart. And also with the addition of Ibaka, Jonas down below, too. If Damari Carroll could ever really get back to where he was a season or so ago, it's a pretty deadly team, and it just simply presents too many options for Milwaukee to counter. That's the bottom line. Yeah, this is the classic Greek freak steals a game or two, but Toronto wins the series in five or six mm-hmm. matchup. I also mm-hmm. like the addition of P.J. Tucker because he's a mean guy out there, and he will defend and Great take point. personal. And I know we're kind of looking forward to that second-round matchup, that Cleveland-Toronto, which has a lot of X-Factors, and it will be a great chess match. But Toronto's got to be careful. As you said, they've messed around a little bit in the first round, and Milwaukee has some gamers there. I think it should be fun to watch. Bradford Bruns, Money Mitch Effect. NBA first-round preview of the playoffs. Let's go to the Western Conference. And here we are, the 1-8 matchup, Bradford, Golden State, and Portland. The Warriors nonchalantly just mow through the regular season again in the face of some injuries. The Blazers mm-hmm. had to fight to get here. They finished 41-41, and 41, but they were out of the playoff picture for most of the first half of the season. And I'll start with this. They have been playing some good basketball lately, but the Nurkic factor, he's still up in the air as of today when we're recording this. They haven't decided if he's going to play in tomorrow's opening round game. It's a mm-hmm. huge dilemma long-term and short-term because you got to think, Bradford, short-term, not really much of a chance for the Blazers without Nurkic on the court, but you have to protect your investment, and he's been a dynamo down the stretch. It's a fascinating one. No, how about that acquisition at the deadline? I by no means thought there was any chance this guy would approach 15 and 10 over 20 games, but that's exactly what he did in giving Portland, Mitch, that compliment down low, a real presence in the interior to go along with Lillard and McCollum. Now, I do think, though, shouldn't we just, shouldn't we just yield to, uh, to Damian Lillard here with his ambitious forecast for the series? Do we really have to pick this? Shouldn't we just yield to him? Well, what, you know, that's funny. But what, what was he supposed to say? That's my question. I, know. I hate asking these. It, you know, when an athlete is asked what they think is going to happen, I think that's different than them just seeking out the media and saying we're going to definitely win. And in this case, you can read the transcript. He was clearly asked, what do you think? I just It's funny to me, but what's Lillard, a guy that's obviously very confident, but what are they supposed to say, that we're going to lose? I mean, he's a competitor. Hey, I love the NBA's preeminent MC as much as anyone. I, I, will, I will roll with him until the end. I can't roll with his team, however, and I love what McCollum gives you, too, as that secondary scoring option, and I love how Portland played down the stretch. You basically suggested it, and the numbers are right there. This is a team with the second-best record since March the 1st at 17-6. and six. It rebounded in a huge way, and I think the stability that Terry Stotts gives, the controlled way that this team is able to play, this is a different team when you're talking about playing in the Pacific Northwest. Now, of course, the Warriors have that home court advantage. The Warriors, I believe, are going to be on a mission to really dispatch this Blazers team as quickly as possible. You think about the second-round series last year, and 
Steph Curry, he missed the first three contests of that series, and yet still Golden State won in five games. Golden State has won 10 of the last 11 meetings against Portland. Too many options. Kevin Durant, it looked as if he didn't miss a beat when he rejoined the lineup over the course of the last few games of the season. I think that Golden State here makes an authoritative statement and gets itself that much more rest, gets itself primed for that second-round matchup to come. Yeah, I can't really add to much of that other than the fact that I think Golden State's going to be kind of judicious with how they try out some lineups, how they integrate sure. in, integrate Durant back into the system, but it'd be hard-pressed to see them get tested here. There'll be some tests along the way, but I don't think here's where it is. The 2-7 matchup, Bradford, San Antonio, and Memphis. Probably not the most exciting series we could have drawn up in the NBA lab, but here we are, 2-7. We've seen this matchup before, and while Memphis has pulled the upset in the past, I don't know that this is the case. No Tony Allen, a young coach behind the bench for the first time, but an aging front line, and a San Antonio team that, while they skidded down the stretch, I think that was more a product of them being pigeonholed into the two-seed, not really having as much to play for. There's few sure things in sports, but I think Popovich in this situation is as sure as it gets. Yeah, you're not going to get a reprisal of 2011 when the Grizzlies were able to spring that classic first-round upset. That's not happening here, and I give all the credit in the world to Memphis, Mitch. Actually, when you take San Antonio out of the equation, Memphis has had the longest streak of consecutive playoff appearances, and you just think about year in and year out there in the Western Conference, how does this team continue to get it done in such a gritty, workmanlike fashion? Well, this entire team, basically, this entire starting five is comprised of those very players, and Having said that, when you talk about the aging front court, when you talk about guys like Allen, Vince Carter, yes, still hooping it up at 110. Incredible. Applause, applause goes, uh, goes to him. Zebo, Zach Randolph, hey, they're all doing their respective things. But right here, yes, you can talk about Marc Gasol. You can talk about the Gasol on Gasol matchup. That's going to be intriguing to watch too. But I want to see just how far Mike Conley can push it. As the $153 million man now, somebody who really tore it up Statistically speaking, during the regular season, actually surpassed 20 points this season per game. Great distributor. If you have an advantage here in the backcourt, I think it definitely is point guard on point guard now for Memphis. Memphis with Tony Parker continuing to age. But Kawhi Leonard, he's such a singular force. San Antonio has been here so many times before. And the Spurs, I just don't know if the Grizzlies are going to be quick enough to be able to get out and guard the shooters for San Antonio because that's still such an underrated facet, Mitch, of their game. This team is the most efficient three-point shooting team in the entire league, and I just don't think that Memphis, yeah, they'll try to grind it out, they'll try to slow down the basketball game, go half-court, but then again, do you really want to get into half-court war with San Antonio? I think not. Out of respect, I'll give Memphis a game, but just a game. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think Aldridge, the way he plays, he doesn't like to, to bang down low. I think he's going to try to pull some of the bigs out of their comfort zone. It should be a fascinating uh, couple games to see how the Spurs try out some lineups as they think big picture, but got a feel for Memphis, another, playoffs, another playoff opportunity. And to my knowledge, I think Vince Carter is the only player to make the playoffs with the Grizzlies and also play with Oscar Robertson back in the day. So yeah, congrats to him for a long NBA career as it keeps going. Mm -mm -mm. Now, I saved these two series for last because they're the most intriguing, in my opinion. And we'll start with the one that I think the outcome is the most up in the air. It's that 4-5 matchup, Clippers and Jazz. Bradford, the Clippers battle, get the four seed. 
Again, we're still not sure how much of a contender they are. And their first-round matchup is, in my opinion, a matchup nightmare with the Utah Jazz, who maybe the most surprising team of the NBA season. It's fair to say they had a league-best defense by a lot of advanced metrics. Rudy Gobert was a force inside. Gordon Hayward has never looked better. As far as a starting lineup go, the Clippers had the second best by, by PER this season. But the mm-hmm. bench, again, not there. The Jazz are deep. This seems like a coin flip series. Which way are you leaning going into it? Well, I'll tell you this much, Mitch. If Utah were to be able to somehow pull this off, the reclamation project of former Mizzou's son, Quinn Snyder, would be complete. But no, in all, in all seriousness, how about Utah being able to pick up the fifth seed this season? Obviously, still looking for its first playoff series win since 2010, but there really isn't any better time than now to achieve such a feat. I will say that I did see a few things down the stretch with this Utah team that troubled me. Now, when you talk about Gordon Hayward and take nothing away from him, had an unbelievable first half, still had a thoroughly effective season overall in making the all-star team. Down the stretch, however, not quite as effective, carried a little nagging injury with him in the last couple of weeks. I, I need to see as well somebody such as George Hill running the point there. I need to see him back in that November form, pre-groin injury, for instance, when he was shooting over 55%, when he was averaging 20 points per game. I need to see that George Hill. I think Utah needs him to be able to rise to that point once again to compete against the Clippers and their backcourt. And make no mistake about it, if L.A. doesn't make significant waves this postseason, you're going to see a completely different, well, maybe not a completely different cast, but a drastically different cast of characters in La La Land next year. And with Chris Paul coming back, looking sensational after his injury, I do get what you're saying with respect to Utah's depth, but the Clippers have it as well. And I think there are just too many scoring sources, proven scoring sources. When you talk about Chris Paul, when you talk about Blake Griffin and even DeAndre Jordan being able to clean up the trash and J.J. Redick bombing some threes here and there too, Utah hasn't displayed, despite everything that favors Hood, Gobert, all those guys Hayward can bring to the table, who has done it come playoff time? I need to actually see it first. I need to actually see that manifest itself, whereas on the Los Angeles end, Yes, I understand this team hasn't advanced past the semifinals, but in getting to this point and getting through an arduous and all likelihood seven-game series, I still have to lean toward the Clippers. I lean toward the team with the home court advantage and still the squad that has just been there on a number of different occasions. This is the year I think Utah falls just short, but very, very close, Mitch. And yes, it could swing either way. It's really more of a coin flip for me, but give me that team in seven with the home floor and the team that's been there repeatedly. So I look at this series in a couple different ways that questions that I have for the Clippers. Can they get anything out of their bench? As much as I've as I've given them some shade at times, Austin Rivers' injury has affected this team. They're banged up. Mm-hmm. I think Blake Griffin, for whatever reason, doesn't have the lift, the explosiveness in his game that he's had in years past. And I think Rudy Gobert-DeAndre Jordan is going to be a battle of titans down low. I see what you're saying on the Chris Paul front. I understand that J.J. Reddick's a shooter and that they have gotten out of the first round in the past, but I like the Jazz here. I think defensively they can grind out wins in this series and frustrate a Clippers team that has proven time and time again that they can be frustrated in big moments. And I also think, too, I mean, I agree, down the stretch, this is going to be a team that if they don't advance out of this round, there's going to be wholesale changes. There might be anyway. Mm-hmm. 
and I think that could play a factor into it. I don't know where this team is going, and I think they're at a crossroads right now. I like the Jazz in seven. I really do. It's really fascinating in a lot of ways. Where we differ primarily, though, see, I'm not sure if Utah, if Hayward and company can do a good enough job of being able to actually control that pick and roll for Los Angeles. I understand Utah loves playing at that slower pace, really getting in the half court and defending well, but it's not a particularly adept collection of guys when it comes to actually countering the foremost strength. When the Clippers offense, when everything is really operating in unison, or at least close to that, it's Paul running the show. They're active on the pick and roll. They're getting to the basket. They're getting to the free throw line. For me, I think that is still the foremost malady for Utah on the defensive end because they can use the athleticism to get up and down, but it's not going to be that type of matchup. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, though, here. I think I get the sense that we're going to have a few exchanges about this series here. It should be, should be exciting. I think we agree that it's gonna, it should be a long one at that. Mm-hmm. And finally, Bradford Bruns, Money Mitch Effect, the last first-round playoff preview, the Houston Rockets as the three-seed versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Two of the, or maybe the two MVP candidates, depending on how you feel about Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. But James Harden versus Russell Westbrook in a matchup where, unfortunately, the announcement won't come down. I was begging for this to be earlier, Bradford, because I wanted <laughs> one of the players to play with the chip on their shoulder, but they probably won't know who the MVP is until the second round starts of the playoffs. Both these teams were not expected to perform I guess quite as well definitely in the Rockets case only predicted to win about 42 games this year the Thunder had to deal without with losing Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook just decided to average a triple double for the season but you have Harden leading the league in assists playing point guard again a rejuvenated James on that side how do you see this one going and what are some x factors to determining who will win this bundle of excitement that we're going to call first round playoff series and naturally, I believe it's the last first-round series to tip off Sunday evening late, a little after 8 o'clock Central. Of course, it's torture to have to wait that long. But, Mitch, the payoff the payoff is going to be more than worth it. Russell Westbrook, the virtuoso season that he had in eclipsing Oscar Robertson's total number in a single season, at least, for triple-doubles, and then averaging that for the season, you can say what you will about the turnovers and some of the other numbers, the usage statistics. This is what I'm looking at. Oklahoma City has absolutely no business being anywhere close to a number six seed, if not for the unbelievable singular accomplishments of Russell Westbrook on both ends of the floor. I don't think that I've ever observed a player with the tenacity possession to possession and that next level gear to be able to reach these rarefied heights as Westbrook. And I can't wait to see him go toe to toe against Harden. I don't know how much defense, if any, is going to be played in this series. And quite frankly, I don't really care because I cannot (laughs) wait to see the numbers that are piled up on the offensive end by both of these teams for Houston. Yeah. The Rockets definitely exceeded my expectations in terms of total number of wins. I had them winning more than 40 something games on the season, but to think that this is the team that just really smashed the NBA single season record for three pointers made under Mike D'Antoni. There's never been more of a match made in heaven than Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, and the Houston Rockets at present. Having said all of that, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how the supporting cast of Houston is able to give Harden some kind of support. You've got Patrick Beverly, obviously, as a defender. You've got guys like Capella and Ariza who can do different things, but I'm saying it right now. I think that Ryan Anderson, who missed about the last three plus weeks of the season with assorted issues, 
from a physical standpoint, I think it's going to be key for him to actually be out there gunning, stretching the defense for Oklahoma City and offering that other additional three-point threat. We know what Eric Gordon can do. We know what a lot of other different members of that cast want to do. But the fact of the matter is that if James Harden doesn't get secondary contributions there, it's going to be a lot tighter than I think a lot of people presume. You could say many of the same things about Russell Westbrook, but I like what Oklahoma City has been able to do at times down low, and I don't think that Houston necessarily, Mitch, has the willingness to bang down there with the likes of a Steven Adams and so forth, a Taj Gibson. I think the Taj Gibson addition at the deadline was absolutely huge for this team. And although Oladipo, too, he can do some nice things to stretch the opposing wow. defense. So really, after no, honestly, after a succession of flurry of games in the uh, 120s, maybe even 130 to 125, who knows? This one's for me, it's going seven for sure. And I like Houston because of the home court advantage, but uh, Russell Westbrook, he definitely has it in him to take a game or two, maybe even three. And yeah, I'll, I'll settle with the Rockets, but more than anything else, I just can't wait to settle in and be a fan for this one. Because whereas we talked about San Antonio and Memphis not being obviously an aesthetically pleasing matchup, this one's going to be an absolute Picasso from start to finish. You threw me off there. I thought you were leaning uh, Thunder, and then you went back and swerve no. and went Rockets. Yep. Uh, yeah, I agree with the points, especially. Don't ever, if you ever hear that I'm thinking about making a play on the under, don't let it happen. I'm, I'm making a plea to no. all my friends right there. But I'll say as well, the biggest thing about this is not only the contrast in the two stars games, but the supporting cast as well. The Thunder want to bang inside with Adams, with Canner, with Gibson now. The Rockets don't necessarily have to. I watched this team dismantle the Clippers a couple months ago, Bradford, and it was remarkable mm-hmm. to see them play nowhere near the key. You know, Harden will get inside occasionally, but it's all shooters. It's all put the ball in James' hand and see where it goes. Westbrook, and it's fascinating that the similarity that I think these two players and teams have is in transition. When turnovers are to be had yes. and both teams will turn the ball over, they like to get it and go. Westbrook just go to the hole and make his magic happen and Harden get inside, either score or create a three-pointer. I think where Oklahoma City is going to have trouble is it's too much of a burden on Westbrook to keep putting points up and keep being involved Mm -hmm. in the offense where Harden has the shooters around him. Ryan Anderson, as you said, is huge. Clint Capella going pick and roll to the hoop is big. The addition of Lou Williams at the trade deadline was huge for this team. It was another shooter. It was another bench player that they can plug in. And I'll give credit on this regard, too. I like Houston in six. And I think Patrick Beverly is going to have a good series. There's no real defending Russell Westbrook. You don't slow him down. But Beverly has done as good a job as anybody in just being a pest and getting in his way. I think he's going to be a big player in this series. Yeah, you can harass him. You can annoy him at least to throw him off to some degree. And really one of the underrated facets, I think, too, Mitch, of this Rockets team, we talk about all the heroics and obviously the ability to can the three-pointer after three-pointer this team should Oklahoma City actually have to settle a bit more let's just say they collapse on Westbrook to somewhat of an effective degree forcing Oklahoma City's shooters from the outside to be able to convert those opportunities Houston's actually the third best team in the league when it comes to defending the three and that probably doesn't get enough pub it probably doesn't get enough press maybe that's also a big factor here in determining the outcome of what should be a pretty tight series well I'm excited for it as well Bradford Bruns, this was a fun chat. We'll definitely be doing this more as we get later into this playoff picture. But last question, who's your MVP? We've seen all the games. Who wins the MVP for you in the 2017 regular season? 
the bottom line, it comes down to me, Mitch, if you take Russell Westbrook off of this Oklahoma City Thunder team, what exactly are you talking about? Are you talking maybe even about a team that is a lottery pick bound? Are you talking about a team that is well below low 500? I certainly think that you have to go in that direction. James Harden, we understand he's the catalyst. We understand all the things that he does for Houston. And yet you still have a fairly good number of contributors out there. For LeBron James, you could essentially give him that on an annual basis. That is such a tough year to have to make this ultimate determination. But because of the historic quality of Russell Westbrook's season, because of what he was able to do, how he set his mind on having to do this from opening night of the year, I simply don't think when you're talking about numbers of that gargantuan, you really can't ignore them. This was a truly special season for him. So with all due respect to all the other front runners, and this is probably the most impossible year to determine in quite some time, I have to give it, and I'm not even going to say begrudgingly, because Westbrook did earn this one. We're not talking about a team that barely skated into the playoffs. Westbrook hoisted this team on his back, on his shoulders, all the way in, and will give them every opportunity to maybe even get passed around. So I'll give it to Russ this time around. You know, he's actually able to get some regular season hardware to go along, go along with those all-star trophies, the pair of them. So you're going to, you know, it's interesting, and, and it's hard to disagree with that case, but you'd say you're willing to buck history a little bit and go with a player that I am. didn't win 50 games that was outside of a top five seed. Okay, well, I would go hard in. I, I would, and I also think Kawhi Leonard, along with LeBron, needs to be mentioned in here with the season he had with his defense, which should mean something when you're that good defensively on a night-to-night basis. But I go hard in because while Westbrook was great, Harden wasn't ridiculously far off from a stats perspective and the team oh, no. and the team was a top three seed so i think in a lot of years westbrook is hands down the mvp regardless of where his seat is you don't have candidates that could challenge a guy like that but i think in this case you do in harden and it makes it a tough decision eileen harden maybe because i'm a little more old-fashioned but you can't go wrong with either of these guys you know you wish there could be you really can't but unfortunately one has to win it it's retribution for that all-star snub. That's what it is, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That, that would be It would be a very snub season. And, hey, we can look at the, at the history books. Oscar Robertson, when he averages triple-double of Bradford, finished third in the MVP voting. Third. Great point. Bill Russell won it. Just full of nuggets. Will Chamberlain finished second, averaging about 50 and 22. So <laughs> I think Mm-mm-mm. there's been some cases there. But Bradford Bruns, this was fun. Thanks for joining the show. This won't be the last time in the spring season. you got a lot of sports to talk about, and you'll be back on soon. Hey, it's, it's always a treat. Sometime after Cinco de Mayo, which is when the second round, I believe, will officially begin, we'll talk again. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks again. See you, bud. That's our show for today. Thanks again to Nick Edmonds and Bradford Bruns for taking time to appear. On the Money Mitch Effect, episode 74 is in the books. You can find the entire catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. The podcast comes up. You can subscribe, leave a review if you so choose. And also follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for sports and other takes. A couple shows next week, more interviews lined up. Thanks for making this podcast grow. I don't say that enough. But thanks to everybody out there for listening, sharing, talking about it with your friends. I really do appreciate it. That's it for the show. I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. There's a lot of great sports on this weekend. You don't have to hear me tell you to watch it. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the time and have a happy Easter to everybody out there celebrating. Thanks again. And I'll see you later.